Well, happy Tuesday, everybody. We're coming to you from Studio 49, The Business Angle, with Justin Angle here at the University of Montana Business School. School's back in session, man. Kind of hard to find a parking spot. Yeah, I know. First day of class, although, um, yeah, I'm not teaching this semester. Sabbatical continues, but, uh, yeah, cool to see, you know, unless you're fighting for a parking space. <laughs> That's right. Cool to see the energy back on campus and students populating the buildings and, yeah, just cool energy today. Well, uh, good to see you. Thanks for being here. The business angle is the overlay between business and sports. We're going to touch on a lot of pretty common subjects. That seems to be the theme here as we continue to hash some of these things out. I've been talking both during this segment and in uh, on Nuanas Now in general about this Tiger Woods book that I've been reading. I finished it last night. I think, though, that the sort of the corporation that is Tiger Woods is so yeah. applicable to what we always talk about here. And this book was just such a stark reminder because they go into so many details of the ebbs and flows of his life. And when you get done with this thing, though, then you realize just how big of a monster that the Tiger Woods Corporation basically was, Yeah, how profound the scandal was just in terms of a pure money and business standpoint. I mean, this guy was making $110 million a year mm-hmm. in endorsements. And then on a Thanksgiving, when the lights get bashed out of the back of his car and he hits a tree and all this different stuff, and it was this crazy fallout. But then he came all the way back from that. I know he's not making $110 million anymore, but he's certainly still one of the most endorsed athletes in the world. Sure. And a late 40s guy who does not regularly win in his sport anymore. And it's just amazing. So it got me thinking about, first sort of that fall from grace and the resurrection of Tiger Woods from a marketing and, and endorsement standpoint. But then also how a lot of times the most profound and the most uh, popular athletes in our society, they rise to these great heights and the heights are so great that it's almost inevitable that something is going to make them fall. Yeah. But when they do fall, sometimes, especially if they do it with uh, accountability or with grace or with uh, self-awareness, they actually come back as a stronger marketing. Uh, they become more popular, which then makes them better for marketing. It's just fascinating. Like Tiger, in certain ways, after all of the scandal, and it was as salacious as it could possibly get, he actually was more humanized and more sort of relatable after all it was said and done. Yeah, it's sometimes tempting, I think, to sort of, you know, fit the data to the theory sure. a, a little bit because there, there's... Tiger Woods is a bit of a, of a unique character. There's other people that have kind of portrayed this this narrative arc that you're you're describing. I think with Tiger, a couple things. One, you know, there is that machine that's been built up around him. He was, and he was almost himself, almost like a machine, right? Exactly. And, and so think of all the people and money and professions and investments at stake if the Tiger Woods. Enterprise unravels, right? So there's sort of an inertia effect to, to sort of protect right. Tiger to some degree. And then whether it was spin or PR or whatever, like portraying his personal failures as a form of addiction, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it was addiction, right? I mean, they, for sure. Well, I think I think in that book they talk extensively. This is the first time I had ever read about the part where he went to inpatient rehab for four months. Yeah, and diagnosed all of the things of the way he was made into this machine. And I think he actually had a realization like, oh my gosh, I am a champion because my parents made me this way, but I also have no friends. Yeah. Like I'm not relatable to anybody. Right. And so that sort of, I think people uh, maybe were able to look past the sort of sexual indiscretions and, and chalk that up to some sort of disorder. 
right? And also, like, you know, we're not all perfect, right? So sure. we can, I don't know if we can necessarily identify with that extensive amount of personal failure, sure. but, but Tiger, um, there's a relatability there that you mentioned in the opening. And the other thing too is that Tiger as an athlete still had a lot left in the tank, right? That's right. And so we talk about this with like NFL players that get in trouble. Like if they could still catch the ball or block or run or throw or the, do the thing that they need to get paid right, to do, right. they're going to get a job. Right. And all of the reconstruction of the image you have to do around that. Like I look at Deshaun Watson and, and you know, every athlete that's still got stuff in the tank that is monetizable often will get a job. Nuwana's now ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television and the ESPN MT app, A Business Angle, The Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. The Tiger story, too, had every single possible factor, right? You have nature versus nurture and the way he was raised. Infidelity, drugs, uh, injuries, pain. So he he was relatable to other humans in some way. Sure, sure. <laughs> and he didn't look the part of golfers. As I mean, not we talked totally. about this last time. Like he played the game totally differently. Yeah, uh, he didn't look the same. Right. His race, family, like a whole thing had a a uniqueness that um, added power to it. It's funny because we I think sometimes we we think of America and American society as being so vicious and chew you up and spit you out, but in reality. Americans, particularly the like American culture and pop culture, is rather forgiving if you are willing to bear your sins and apologize, right? Whether it's Kobe Bryant and his whole fiasco in Colorado and then coming out on the other side of that, or I mean Ray Lewis and the situation he got in at the Super Bowl. You know, it's it's crazy how there's at least a certain sector that will forgive you, like you're saying, one, if you can still play, but two, also, though, if you sort of take it on the chin, like look at the difference between Mark McGuire, who's now still involved in Major League sure. Baseball and widely pretty beloved, and Barry Bonds. Everybody hates him because Barry Bonds has never one time said, oh, yeah, Game of Shadows is true. Yeah, you know, I I, I think I'll take a little bit more cynical view. I mean, it, I, I don't think Kobe Bryant, for example, really... Um, it had a full mea culpa, right? True, I mean, he true, it's had true. a big press conference. So there are, you know, the examples of half apologies. And at the end of the day, I don't know if it's like people just don't care if their heroes can continue to be heroes and score baskets or touchdowns right. or whatever. Um, you know, Barry Bonds was a, a jerk all the way right up into the end and was still sort of performing at the highest level as he was being a jerk. And he's continued to be a jerk. So there was no, like kind of, there was no dip in that narrative, right? There was no epic struggle that, That's right, that right, he right. had to go through. You know, he just basically cheated. There's no arc right? to the story, right? There's no Shakespearean rise no, and fall and resurrection. No Man falls in a whole story, right? Like life <laughs> right. is good, then it's not, then it's better. That's right. It's kind of the classic narrative totally. arc that we are attuned to, uh, to understand. Last point on this. Who is the greatest athlete in the world right now? Oh, gosh. Um, Th that's the reaction I wanted, yeah. is that there's not a definitive answer. And I thought to myself, after finishing this Tiger Woods book, because I've been battling with why I was so obsessed with Tiger Woods. Part sure. of its place and time, how old I am, the th you know, watching ma the Masters in the U.S. Open on Sunday with my dad, like yeah. all those nostalgic memories. But more than anything, regardless of how Tiger Woods ever acted or anything that ever happened in his personal life, there was a probably eight to ten year span where the answer to that question was Tiger Woods. Yeah, yeah. 
And we have not, I don't know if we've ever seen that before. Maybe maybe you know Jim Thorpe or Jesse Owens. Yeah, I think you could say that with Jordan. I think sure, you could probably sure. say it with Muhammad Ali. Uh, sure, right. But it's a it's a very select oh, absolutely. group, right? Yeah. And I think that's why I think we we give forever passes because we all want to share in this one uh, moment of greatness. And you know we we have to admit that we are very uh, United States centric. I mean, the best athlete in the world could be Kylian Mbappe. You know, like, totally. like right, to right, see totally. what he was able to do in a short period of time in the World Cup final was unbelievable. Totally. Or some sort of uh, distance, you know, ultra distance runner or something, sure. scaling Everest. It is true. We are sort of U.S. centric, no doubt about it. The Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. If you're a small business, let Blackfoot Communications help you connect to more. They can build you a business network, uh, also help you just develop your small business with their Connect to More program. Visit goblackfoot.com to learn more. The FCS National Championship game on uh, a Sunday, and uh, it, it, it was a sort of non-competitive game with South Dakota State running away with it. But I don't know. It was sort of an interesting deal with uh, choosing to, a network but also on a different atypical college yeah. football day. I mean, I, I guess the question here not necessarily is about, it's not about South Dakota State, North Dakota State, or the FCS. It's more about, does the allure of landing on network TV have the same cachet as it used to? Yeah, I, my instinct is to think not so. I mean, cable is so ubiquitous. Um, streaming is so ubiquitous. Watching on apps and other devices is so ubiquitous now. Um but there is a novelty effect that the FCS championship game, particularly you know North North and South Dakota, that kind of brings a novelty aspect that might attract viewers from you know major metropolitan markets who happen to stumble across the ABC feed on their way to an NFL game or not. It's sort of like how NBC used to put some you know show that they wanted to get attention for between Seinfeld and Friends. Right, so it might be similar strategy, and it's it's hard to know if it was successful or not. I mean, the rating being kind of middling is an indication that you know it wasn't uh, a total failure, but uh, I, I don't think we see evidence that it was a successful strategy yet. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, you know, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see how the FCS national championship game continues to evolve because the the uh, the place in Frisco, there's I think three years left on that contract. Frisco's done a good job of hosting the game. They've also had good draws, but part of that's because they've just had this perennial team yeah. in North Dakota State there for 10 years in a row. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to dog on anybody or anything, but, like, there are certain places in the country where going to Frisco, Texas is not some sort of crazy destination vacation every year. But if you're going to get out of Fargo in January, that sounds yeah. pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go it's anywhere. All that's right. So, so I think that they've had a huge draw. Uh, just because of their success, but also because it's sort of this uh, this affordable and uh, easy to plan thing. You know when it's going to be. I mean, we've seen people down there that are just staying at the same hotels year in and year out because they just know North Dakota State's going back. So we'll see how it continues to evolve. Y- you wonder what the FCS National Championship game would look like, both in in person attendance and on TV. Yeah, if there wasn't that sort of uh, brand name, you know, standard team that's been there for ten years. I think that helps, particularly for the unfamiliar viewer, right? I mean, they sort of start to develop this associ- 
association, uh, you know, of that of that institution with that championship game. So if they just tune in for the last couple of games of the season or even the championship game, there's a familiarity there. Yeah. And that familiarity, I mean, we've talked about it before, like the mere exposure of effect. You just see see a team over and over again. You see those colors over and over again. They start to become your team. You're just familiar with them. It's like the Atlanta Braves effect from the right, 90s. Right, totally. The TBS effect. So, you know, I think there is some truth to that. And not to mention that, you know, the the, the community that supports uh, North Dakota State has, you know, they've grown accustomed to that level of success. Totally. So it is like a normed thing. Okay, let's make our reservations for Frisco. We're going again. And, you know, we'll see how long that can last. It's interesting, too, because I think that, you know, we live in an FCS market. We're sitting here at the University of Montana Business School right now. That's an FCS school in terms of football. And you hear from Grizz fans all the time, well, yeah, FCS, nobody, it's, it's overlooked. Nobody gives us the credit we deserve. But then the Grizz are playing Ferris State next year in football. And everybody's like, well, why are we playing this down game against the D2? Well, Ferris State played for the National Championship in Division Two. I think, yeah. three out of the last four years. So nobody pays attention to that uh, because Ferris State is not, you know, they're sort of new to the scene in the D2 level. So it is sort of interesting how there's been these, these dynasties across college football uh, from the FBS with Alabama and now Georgia, and, uh, Alabama and Clemson, now Georgia, and then at the FCS, NDSU, and then we can go all the way down the docket. So it is sort of interesting that uh, parity is more prevalent in sports uh, than ever before, but at the top of the top in college sports, it's definitely not. I think there's a, a relationship uh, to money there as well. A business angle with Justin Engel uh, here on Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. One of our friends at Blackfoot, I uh, I gave her some some tickets to the uh, men's basketball game last uh, Thursday against Weber State. It was a thrilling game. Uh, not actually a very well-played game, but it came down to the final seconds, and Weber State had this crazy steal at the end and a three-pointer mm-hmm. to win uh, to beat the Grizz uh, at the buzzer. And... Uh, but her, she, she texted me the next day and said, thanks so much for the tickets. Very exciting ending. What's up with all the media timeouts? It's been a little while since yeah. she'd been to a game. And I was like, well, this is, you know, I'm numb to it because I go to two or three games every single week. And I only make it to probably four or five high school games a year. So I, I don't really get to see the, yeah. the contrast. But uh, then when you really think about it, there really is a lot of stoppages. And this is sort of the, the give and take of having everything on TV. And it's a, just sort of the entry point to a bigger conversation. Being on TV all the time, being able to stream on ESPN Plus, great for your broad exposure. I don't know how much it helps your in-game viewing experience for people that go to the games. I don't know how it helps your attendance either. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was at the game Saturday night against Idaho State and noticed those media timeouts. And you know, we were seated in a place where like you could you could hear the referee refer to it as a media timeout. So you can actually tell how many of them were timeout, you know, for, for marketing purposes versus just stoppages that the coaches induced or the referees induced. Anyway, I, I think it's, you know, I do not like the ad-driven content model. We've talked about that, and we both, like, butter our bread with that model. But right. I think it, 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 it forces um, any kind of business model choice implies that you're going to prioritize certain customers over another. Right. And so in the case of putting as much content on to television as you can or onto streaming platforms as you can, you introduce this conflict between the 
in-game experience or the live experience and the viewing experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, stuffing more ads into a broadcast does not enhance the viewing experience, no. but it is less detrimental to that customer segment than it is to the in-person customer segment. Sure. And we see, like, as we've seen in live music, like the, the where the money is made gets shifted from recording and selling albums to touring. And, and you know, these how the margins associated with each type of um, sale are different and they shift over time. And I think now we're seeing this, 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 the streaming, the TV is, is the dominant force. At, at what point, this is just a broad marketing question. At what yeah. point does it all just blur together? What do you mean by blur together? Because right, right now we're talking about distinctly like yeah, product, no, I mean, product I, I, I guess I guess just like the 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 branding and advertising of everything. Yeah. Like right now, there's a big controversy in the NBA because they're they've they've gone from just jerseys sure. to then little logos, yeah. and then all of a sudden they might sell the front of the jersey. At, at what point does the human mind shut off actually what they're even seeing? Yeah, I don't know that the answer to that question. I don't think science really knows if that mm-hmm. gets shut off. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. those things will will make an impression below our level of awareness. But what what That's I think a good point. what I think the pragmatic answer is is look at the experience many of us had watching the World Cup. Right, it's a running clock right. with no advertisements, and you know it, the, you're bombarded with advertisements simple advertisements sure. throughout the whole stadium, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think as a viewer, like that was a way better experience. And, you know, what do you actually learn new in the average television commercial that you can't learn from, from a, you know, a, a small exposure on a screen? I mean, some ads are effective, but it's really hard to make an ad on television that is so effective that you actually learn something other than brand awareness. Right. So right. I think I think those two can be integrated. Um, you know, it has to be done well, and it's a gamble if the you know if 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 you're going to be able to monetize it in the same way, get the same amount of marketing spend from the, you know the big brands than you would. Um, Given them ad time, it, it, it's so fascinating. I think this is going to be a moving target forever. I I often just wonder, and this is another common theme here on the business angle with Justin Angle here uh, from Studio Forty Nine here at the University of Montana Business School. The University of Montana Athletic Department makes such a huge part, portion of their revenue from ticket sales. That has been uh, an advantage, and it's turning into a disadvantage for them. Yeah, because uh, you know, I mean. When Northern Arizona hosted Montana and Montana State men's basketball two weeks ago, less than 700 total people went to those yeah, two games. Yeah. Yet Northern Arizona just built a $47 million athletic facility because they have 30,000 students and they're charging student athletic fees and they're making revenue not through ticket sales. Sure. Them ho- selling 340 tickets to the Grizz game doesn't hurt them. Like last night, you were at the Lady Grizz game. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a thousand, more than a thousand people there, yeah. which is a huge women's basketball crowd in the big sky for every other school in the league besides Montana and Montana State. Mm-hmm. But it's a that's a that's a, a tough situation for the Grizz. They're losing money and not losing money, but they're not making the money they need to make in that situation. And so it, I just I, I don't know where this is going to turn because I don't think that uh, you know for the for the 500 people in the world that might watch the Sacramento State women's basketball team stream, getting to those 500 people, no matter where they are on earth, is an objective win for Sac State. 
having less people go to Lady Grizz games because they can watch it on TV, I, I, I don't know. It's this uh, strange balancing act. I don't know, uh, particularly from the Montana school's perspective, I don't know where, where you go from here. Yeah, I don't know what that crossover is. Like the, the number of people who would have gone to the game but for it was available on streaming. Uh, my instinct is that those are a little bit different different customer segments. Um I think the student athletic fee is kind of a, a big part of this. Sure. You know, if you, particularly if you have a large student body, like right. you mentioned, Northern Arizona, right. you, those athletic departments can basically, you know, skim that fee. Uh, it's it's e- it's easy to be sympathetic when a student says, "Hey, I've got nothing to do with athletics. Right. I have no interest in them. I don't know why I'm paying the student athletic sure. fee." It's easy to be sympathetic with that student. Totally. Yet it is a fixed form of revenue for the athletic department that they are loath to give away. And that means they essentially, I mean, granted, the work that the athletic department does to promote itself has spillover effects. It It generally attracts more students to the institution. So there is generic, broad marketing value of having an athletic department, as we've talked about. Totally. But it's a source of revenue that, they don't really have to hustle for as much as they do to fill stadiums. And I think that's a bad look. Like, you you look at some of these photos on Instagram or, you know, when it's a television feed, they kind of can conceal it, but students playing at empty, or kids playing at empty stadiums, that can't be a fun experience Uh, for anybody. I mean, last Thursday, Weber State has the most beautiful basketball arena in the Big Sky Conference with the exception of the Montana schools. Yeah. I would say we were it's Dahlberg Arena and, and uh, the the D Event Center at, at in Ogden. It's a it's a twelve thousand five hundred seat stadium yeah. because Weber State's men have perennially been very good and they mm-hmm. draw six seven eight nine thousand fans a game. The Weber State women's team has had massive struggles. They are perennially very much towards the bottom of the league. The pictures of and the 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 stream from Ogden last Thursday when the Lady Grizz were playing there, yeah, were were awful. It looked like pandemic. There was uh, nobody there. Yeah, you could have counted the people in the stands on two hands. I mean, it was it was awful. I felt so bad for for those gals. Uh, but I digress. I, I I do think that that's not a good student athlete experience. But I also think it's a it's a crossroads that I think the Montana schools are going to have to deal with. But I also think it skews the perception of the fans as well because you see – it's so easy to see the advantages that – let's just take the University of Montana has. This mm-hmm. awesome football stadium that's on par with anybody in the West yep. that sells out every single Saturday. And you think, wow, we draw 26,500 fans every single week. Weber State, who's in the playoffs as often or more than Montana lately, is drawing 4,000 fans. How are we not just killing them at everything? That's what the Grizz fans can think. But then they, I think there's a misperception of all of the different ways you can make revenue. I don't know. I think it's a crossroads because Montana used to be out in front of the pack in front of everybody because of their distinct support advantages. That advantage has dissipated quite a bit because of these other forms of revenue that athletic departments can produce. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just the stadium. And in fact, you know, yes, we have this giant money-making, beautiful, experienced stadium, but that creates um, a very um, uh, sort of non-diverse set of revenue streams right. for the athletic department. So that, cre- yep. it, you know, as, as wonderful an asset as that is, like Ken Haslam says this, like 
it's also a risk because totally. you got to fill it to fill your budget. Now, hundred percent. I mean, that's the thing is like when when people were there was so much debate over when Bob Stitt was not renewed as the head coach at Montana, mm-hmm. and you know, missing the playoffs two times in three years was part of it, performance based. But when they started drawing thousands of less fans, when yeah. they drew 19,000 fans for a November game against Northern Arizona, that's the first time I was like, oh, man, this might be – he might be in trouble because it's direct loss revenue for the school. Absolutely. And in in the case of Montana, like that's – it's it's sort of a an easy thing to judge. Like if the stadium's doing well, the budget's going to be doing well. But, but schools like Weber State that probably have a more diverse set of revenue streams, um, you know, it's a little harder – to judge the connection between any one of those streams and success on the field and you know what those implications are for the budget. I mean, how much state funding do they get? What are their, what is their tuition split? What is their um, student athletic fee? Like how much, what's their pay scale? What can they pay the coaches? And all those sorts of things uh, that we don't have a lot of line of sight to um, as we do in Montana. It's a much simpler picture. Nuan is now ESPN Radio. SWX Montana Television and the ESPN MT app. Recording here on a Tuesday from Studio 49. Every other Tuesday, The Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Justin Angle, University of Montana business professor, joins us to talk about the overlay between business and sports. Okay, one last thing. You got it. And we're going to get to uh, this more later on in the week because your favorite resident Tom Brady hater, Carolyn the Chicken Doesn't Know Sports, will be with us. And uh, she knows so little about sports that she texted me this morning at 9 a.m. to let me know that Tom Brady and the Bucks lost last night. Has no idea that, you know, everybody in America was watching yeah. this game, except her, I guess. Regardless, though, I find this interesting just from a coverage and exposure standpoint from the NFL. And this is why the NFL is in, like, a no-lose situation. Last night's Monday Night Football game was perfect for the NFL because you have the Dallas Cowboys, the most loved and hated team in the NFL, yep. versus Tom Brady, the GOAT, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Either way, no matter what the result is, you have endless fodder here because you're either going to be able to talk about Dallas not being able to get it done or Tom Brady isn't going to retire or oh, yeah. not. It, it's uh, What do you think is better, though, for the league? Is it better for Tom Brady to make another run as a mid-40s guy or to be out and have now the simultaneous playoff storylines and Tom Brady not in the playoffs anymore? I mean, it's we know the value to the NFL of a of a... Tom Brady Super Bowl run. Totally. So I would bet on that. Yeah. You know, it's it's tempting to think that the value of a Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl run to the NFL is giant. I would assume it is, but the the Cowboys haven't been essentially good in a, in a very long time. Forever, yeah. Um so I would bet on, you know, the NFL kind of wanted the overall benefit to the league had Tom Brady made a deep run into the playoffs, I think would have been more. It's going to be so fascinating this offseason because not only is there going to be now this omnipresent narrative of Tom Brady, what does he do next? Yeah. But Derek Carr has already lit, written his goodbye letter to the Las Vegas Raiders. Tom Brady is newly single. He's going to be going out. Sure. All, I, all I kept thinking was, this is me just completely digressing into what I'm consuming in terms of literature. All I kept thinking was, man, in the darkest of dark worlds, Tom Brady just goes to moves to Vegas and just runs it back. Tiger Woods 2.0. Oh, geez. This is horrible to actually think about. But regardless, uh, the speculation is going to be rampant. And this is why the NFL always wins. One of the biggest stars in the history of the league is out of the playoffs. 
yet he's going to be able to be a part of the NFL conversation throughout until the end of the Super Bowl. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I'm not convinced the Tom Brady, will he, won't he narrative has the same shelf life mm, as, as other athletes. We, we've we've grown accustomed to it. Right. Um, it, you know, he's, he, he's, he was not good on the field last night. He was and, not. And lately. He was and not. And th- there is the, you know, we've all kind of wondered when this point will come, when age will finally, you know, catch totally. up to him like it does every other human being. Um, so I just and wonder. There, there's also the next part, too, right? I mean, the, there's all of these, the speculation and, and pretty good reporting that he has a $375 million television contract. Sure. For and, and that, the, the, the value of that will play out. Like, if he's a good, uh, you know, if he's a good announcer or analyst in the booth, that'll play out. I mean, you have you have to be good to sort of hold an audience totally. in that capacity. But the prospect of him going to the Raiders and the Raiders making a Super Bowl run, I just don't think that's... I, I think it's unlikely that that happens. Not that he goes to the Raiders, but that they totally. make a deep run. So the the value of kind of winning the Tom Brady lottery at this stage in the NFL isn't quite as high as it was for the Bucks four years ago. Totally, and I think that the Denver Broncos showed what happens if you get a quarterback a little oh, bit yeah. past his prime and you get locked up with paying that guy forty something million dollars like they did with Russell Wilson. How bad it can go very quickly. The Business Angle with Justin Angle every other Tuesday here uh, on Nuanas Now. Coming to you from the University of Montana Business School today. Fun one, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Love talking business and sports with Justin Angle. The Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Want to find out how Blackfoot can help improve your small business or want to see if they have fiber in your area, need help with a network, or you just want high-speed internet, visit goblackfoot.com. Dot com Blackfoot Communications helping you connect to more.